Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, and this is our first episode post the marathon trials. And our first episode in this recap month is going to be with Kellen Taylor. Kellen finished top 10 in the Olympic trials. She finished eighth in 229.55. Obviously, a top 10 performance at the Olympic trials is a great race, objectively speaking. With that said, it wasn't quite what Kellen had hoped for. In this episode, we talk about that, the dichotomy between while not reaching her goals, being extremely happy for her teammates. Steph Bruce came in sixth and Alephine won it, which was an absolutely amazing performance for her and her NAS elite team. With that said, obviously we all have goals in life and Kellen is no different. We also talk about some injuries that hampered her race and something that she kind of kept quiet going into the race and it definitely ended up affecting her performance. And then we talk exactly what's going to come next for her, uh, not only in the recovery phase, but also what she plans to do from a running perspective. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kellen Taylor. Hello, Kellen. Welcome back to the show. Our final one of the Road to the Olympic Trials feed for you. First of all, I want to say congratulations to you and your team, three people in the top 10 of the women's race. At the same time, obviously it wasn't you know exactly what you had hoped. In a situation like this where you didn't quite reach your goals, but you and your team had a fabulous weekend in totality. What's that like when you know when you have that, and then people go come up to you and they express kind of that the mixed emotions within their congratulations? Like, what, what's that feeling like for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's kind of hard. It's a complicated uh, situation, I guess, in some ways, um, because yeah, I mean, you do want to achieve the goals that you set for yourself, but at the same time you know, having one of your teammates win the Olympic trials, you know, make their first Olympic team, um, have our first Olympian on the team. That's a huge deal. You know, that was kind of what Ben's vision was when he started this group, you know, that was the idea to put somebody on the Olympic team and she didn't do it by herself. You know, she didn't go out and do every workout by herself. Um, so you know, it was, it was nice to know, like Stephanie and I, we shared, we were part of that process. Um, I'd like to think that we aided in her successes in some way. Um, she certainly deserved absolutely everything that she, she did and is, has coming for her. Um, it, I mean, it was very exciting. Um, I can honestly say that when I finished, I was more excited for her than I was sad for myself, um, which might be kind of a, a weird thing for people to understand, uh, but it's a big deal. Yeah. And I appreciate your honesty there. Cause you know, it's, it's one of those situations where it's, it's very easy for people to understand. I think the, 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 the kind of the opposing emotions of the moment where just because you might be disappointed for your, for yourself in terms of goals and things like that, you can at the same time still be happy for somebody else. Right. I mean, when we before we went into this race, I think we had said it in a couple of the interviews that all three of us had done. But, you know, we were saying if one of us were not, the, if I wasn't the one to make the team or Steph wasn't or Alephine wasn't, but one somebody else did, that we would be probably equally as happy for them as we would have been for ourselves. And, you know, that was absolutely true. 
All right, so let's talk about a little bit before the race here. I know we had a pre-race call uh, about you know a week and a half ago or so. You know, and you and you you know spoke about the challenges, and, and Ben has talked about the challenges for you in this lead up, but also at the same time you expressed your confidence and your fitness and your ability um, to perform on race day. As the race approached in that last week and a half, did you feel that same way, or did 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 uh, did anything kind of pop up on your end? Um, well, you know, I did have some stuff going on, um, for about a month leading into the race. Um, you know, nothing that I thought would keep me from running, but honestly, nothing would have kept me from running. Um, I would have probably pushed through pretty much anything. Uh, so I kind of push it in the back of my head. Um, try not to have it at the forefront uh, every time that I go for a run or do a workout or anything. Um, and just trying to keep that positive mentality that you know, I could do something special on the day. Um, now the reality is I showed up and I had done literally everything that I could possibly do, um, to try and make my leg feel better. I had had, I had been dealing with shin splints, which I feel embarrassed to say that because I feel like it's, it's like, a when I think of shin splints, I think of somebody like a, a new runner, somebody who hasn't been running for literally their whole life. Um, but yes, I had shin splints and they got pretty bad and just kind of radiated throughout my whole entire leg. Um, and I got through everything, did all the workouts, got all the work done, got into the race. Um, it Everything hurt a little bit the whole entire way, but then it got to a certain point where I felt like my body failed me um, on my right side where that, that was going on. Um, there wasn't much that I could do. I think that uh, we feel pretty confident that, that I tore my calf muscle. Um, so, you know, is what it is. <laughs> oh my God. And you still finished the race, which we're going to talk about in a second. Before we get there, I just want to echo something that I'd had on the podcast you know, a little under a month ago. Neely Spence Gracie came on after she qualified at Houston, which was you know an emotional podcast for her in a lot of ways. And she opened up about a lot of things. She said, the exact same thing that you just said, that she was ashamed to admit it, but that in the fall she'd been dealing with shin splints, but as a professional runner, she didn't want to tell anybody because it felt like something <laughs> that like only fifth graders should have or something like that. Right. Um, obviously, that's not the case because you guys are two examples of this. Actually, I actually coach a runner who recently had de- dealing with some shin issues. So what were the things that you and your team, you know, tried to do with that, considering that, you know, backing off completely wasn't really an option? Yeah, I mean, it was really a pain in the butt, to be honest. Um, And it hurt really bad. I mean, like, I didn't, I guess I, when I thought of shin splints, I was like, oh, discomfort, but like, it was really, it was painful. Um, So what we did, I got through everything. Um, you know, my last couple weeks of hard workouts, everything hurt, but it wasn't to the point of where I felt like I had to necessarily back off of anything. Um, but after we did our last long effort of 15 miles, it kind of, everything flared up. Um, my whole right leg was just kind of a mess. So, you know, it was a whole lot of, whole lot of work got done. You know, I was very proactive and, uh, seeing our, uh, Cairo, um, and PT, AJ Gregg. I went down to Phoenix and saw John Ball a couple of times. You know, he's like the guru of all things and everybody goes to see him, um, when they have a big issue. I had massages done. 
Um, you know, it was just constantly having work done, trying to figure out a way to make it, uh, trying to lessen the pain, make it a little bit better. Um, and then when we got a little bit after, you know, with a week out or so, we kind of backed off a lot. Uh, I took a couple of days off. I ran around grass fields for 10 miles, which was horrible. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. like, welcome back to indoor track. Oh my gosh. It was so bad. We were in, we were in Florida nine days before the race and you know, the guys are out doing these beautiful runs on like Sandy roads, you know, with beautiful views and I'm running around turf fields, uh, every day. So, but that was to lessen the impact obviously and trying to stay flat because the ups and downs bothered it, which clearly didn't help in Atlanta. Um, so, you know, just, just doing what I could in order to get to the start line and have it feel as good as possible, um, and give myself a fighting chance. Now, when it comes to race day or any big workouts, when you're experiencing that sort of thing, do you take, you know, pain medication at all to try to lessen it in the moment? Or like, are there things that you can do, maybe not long-term, but in the short term to try to alleviate some of the pain um, during those, you know, again, whether it's race day or, or a key workout. Sure. Um, yeah, I definitely took, I took some ibuprofen race morning. Um, and then I put on, like I would rub like a, a cream called Voltaren on just, I think is kind of like an NSAID. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think it worked as well as it possibly could, but I think you get to a point where it's like, this isn't pain anymore. This is actually an issue now. Like you maybe did a little bit of damage. Um, so, you know, I think that you can certainly do things to lessen it, but you also have to be aware of like, when is it too much? You know, um, if it wasn't the Olympic trials, would I have kept going? I don't know. Um, but I felt like, you know, I had put a lot into this. Um, you know, I put a lot in, my coach put a lot in, my teammates put a lot into me. Um, so I wanted to finish for them and then also for myself. And what's the thinking behind deciding whether to share something like that or not to share it or how much to share it in regards to just public consumption? Well, for me, I think unless it's something that's going to pull me out of the race, I'm probably not going to share it. Um, not to the point of where it's like an exact thing. I might say, Oh yeah, I had a couple things here and there. Um, but I knew that this wasn't going to take me out of the race. I was going to start the race and I was more than likely going to finish the race unless my body absolutely just shut down a hundred percent. Um, so for me, I think that it's more a mental thing where it's like, you're going to do it. It doesn't matter. So now let's talk about the race because this was so much fun to watch. And it was so funny comparing, especially in real time, because they're run at the exact same moment, as you know, comparing the, the men's race and the women's race and how stylistically different they were in so many ways. And in your race specifically, you know, the big group going out and staying together for such a long time, uh, you know, you basically were holding after the first mile or so, right around 228 to 229 marathon pace as that you know that huge group of women all the top contenders for so long when y'all were running that pace at that level on that course considering all the wind and the weather and all of that did you feel like you were running at you know, close to 
the limit during that time and it was just gonna be battle of attrition or did you feel like that you you know if your if your leg could hold up that you could go to another gear later on in the race i think this is where i struggle with the race because i feel like if i would have went in 100 percent healthy that it would have been a completely different outcome um you know i think a lot of people in the race could say that but that's how I feel about mine specifically. The pace felt so comfortable and so easy. I, when I went back and looked at the splits after the race, I was like, there's no way we were running that because it just felt so slow. Um, and I mean, that's how the marathon should feel early on. It should feel slow, but on that type of course, I feel like, you know, running five thirties would feel heck of a lot harder. Um, but it just didn't. You know, I think I was in a really good spot um, mentally and physically up to a certain point. Because um, like I said, it was uncomfortable, but it wasn't my my leg was uncomfortable, but it wasn't to the point of where I feel like it was completely inhibiting my performance. Um, so, you know, things that could have went different, but didn't. But, you know, it was it was fine. It was another day. And. Like I said, we still had a great outcome for the team, and it was still super exciting. All right. So, obviously, the, the sun came out. It was a pretty sunny day. But one thing that was visible right from the start for the women's race was that you actually were wearing a windbreaker at the start line. The only person, uh, on at least on TV, in the first few <laughs> rows wearing the windbreaker. I, it didn't last more than two miles or so. But what was your thinking there? Um, well, uh, a few people were wearing long sleeves. So it was a little, it was a touch chilly. It wasn't really super cold, but I just didn't want to be cold during the race. Um, you know, Boston flashbacks and whatnot. But um, I wore the zip up, a super, super light coat uh, because I wear a hat. And I figured that that would be much easier to take off for me than a long sleeve. Um, so it was more so just strategic strategy uh, wise for de-layering. All right. That, that makes sense. Yeah, because Alephine and Stephanie were also wearing or actually, I shouldn't say also because you weren't wearing it, but they were wearing the white long sleeves uh, in addition to to your windbreaker. Yeah, it was funny because I was looking at the start line. I'm like, oh, it almost looked like at first, like, oh, she's she's going to she was not ready for the countdown. Like she's still wearing her windbreaker. I was like, no, no, it was a you know a conscious decision. <laughs> certainly. Um, now, when um, when we get to mile 20 or so. And the the leaves started to break apart. That's also when on the broadcast that we didn't get a great, basically a great two mile um, feed of what was happening in the women's race. So can you give us a little bit of, you know, kind of a first person record of what happened when the, the lead pack broke apart specifically? Was there, you know, a burst uh, of energy at the front or was it more of just a attrition that kind of affected a lot of people in and around the same time? I think that it was probably a combination of the two um, because I look at my mile and I think that was like a six minute mile or something like that. Um, so I definitely got slower and they got faster um, and it was on an uphill. So we were going up a long steady hill and I think that it was, I don't know who it was. It was Molly or Alephine, one of the two um, made a little surge and I did go with them for a short period of time. Well, I kind of fell back a touch and then Des came up on me and she was like, okay, let's go, you know, let's catch them. Um, you got to go with them. And that was encouraging. I was like, oh, fine, Des. <laughs> um, 
So kind of picked it up a little bit and tried to hang with them. And then, you know, fell back off and kind of just never, never, never reconnected with them. Now, did she say that to you specifically or just kind of to the, to the chase pack? She said it to me because there wasn't much of a chase pack. There were a couple of us. Oh, okay. All right. And then before that move, say closer to miles 16, 17, 18, could you get a sense within the group of who was, who you thought at the time felt stronger than uh, other people in the group? I had no idea. I wasn't paying, I wasn't really paying attention to anybody or anything, you know, just kind of, um, I think in like a flow mentality where you're just kind of clipping off mile after mile and it feels great. Um, so no, I mean, I would see obviously who was leading, um, and kind of look at them and gauge how they looked, I guess, on occasion, like Laura Thweet, she was up front for a very long time, um, kind of battling the wind and, you know, I thought she looked great. So um, it doesn't surprise me that she finished well. Um, but yeah, I think in races, it's important to kind of uh, focus on what you're doing. It's a long race, you know, it doesn't really matter what somebody looks like when they're 15 miles into a race, you know, how do they look 20, 22 miles, 23 miles, 24, you know, when the race actually happens. And you mentioned that you, you basically blew out your calf. When did that happen? I mean, I think it was probably right around when I fell off of everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. So around that time is also when uh, Sarah Hall, uh, Molly Huddle, and Emily Sisson dropped from the race. And I don't know if they've all made, I know uh, Molly and Emily have made uh, posts about how, you know, they view basically came into the race with a plan B of sorts and that if things weren't going well, uh, that they were going to pack it in uh, with an eye towards the future and probably the 10K at the trials and things of that nature. Did you go into the race with any thoughts of a potential plan B? I would never go into a race with that as one of my plans, um, to be honest. Um, I don't, I mean, not to knock anything they did. Obviously, they have they have something in their mind that they want to do and that's how they want to do it. And that's absolutely fine. Um but for me, if I'm going into a race, I'm going in and there's one goal. Like, that's what it is. You know, you you want to win or you, whatever it is, that's it. Like, there is no backup plan. Um, if something happens and you end up having to do that for whatever reason, like, say, Boston uh, 2018, fine. You know, like, that's just life. But I I personally don't think that that's a good mentality to have because then you have an escape plan. And, you know, the marathon, you go, you go to dark places during a marathon. Um, and if you have, if you're like, oh yeah, there's an exit door, you might just take it when, you know, maybe you shouldn't. It's interesting that you put it in those terms, because that's exactly how I thought of, of myself, just knowing me that if I ever went into a marathon with a plan B, the plan B would very quickly become plan A <laughs> as soon as I started to struggle. And I can see that again, some, some people, obviously that's not necessarily the case. You know, they might just be super motivated, focused people who can segment those areas of their mind. I know for me, I would never be able to do, to, you know, to do that. With that said, you just brought up an, an interesting example in your own life at what, what was going on in your head when you got to the point where like, obviously what was transpiring in your leg had gotten worse and things were progressing to the point where you couldn't maybe couldn't see yourself chasing down the leaders. 
What were some of the things that you were thinking about in terms of not only managing the pain in the race, but just those larger decisions as well? I mean, for me, I could still move. I was still moving forward, still clipping off, you know, the Ks, the miles, whatever, getting closer to the finish. Um, So that's what I tried to focus on was just getting, you know, further. Um, You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Was it smart? I don't actually know. but I just felt like it was something that I had to see, see it through, like to the end. Um, I don't know if you necessarily think super vividly and clear when you're in that type of situation. Um, and if you're stubborn like myself, then you kind of just, it doesn't matter. Um, if your brain is telling you to stop because you're not going to anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to go back and like, remember what you were thinking in those moments during a marathon, because I feel like there's just so much focus going on during those things that I don't really have, I don't, I don't know. I don't have super clear, vivid thoughts. you've raced in a number of the biggest races in the world. How would you compare the energy of this race and the crowd support uh, to some of the other races you've been to? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Um, You know, when Atlanta Track Club decided to take this on and there were 700 plus qualifiers, I was like, holy moly, how are they going to do this? This is going to be a disaster. But they did an amazing job. you know, I think back to the LA trials and that was, a, that was a show that was awful. Um, but this one was so well organized. Uh, everybody was fantastic. The course was amazing. Like the crowds along the course, the whole thing was lined. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have expected that, but the whole entire course was lined with people the crowds were deafening, like your ears were ringing because they were so loud. Um, I remember that during the race, there was like one corner. I don't remember which one it was exactly, but I'd turn a corner every single loop and my ears would ring because um, the screams <laughs> were so crazy. So, you know, they did a fantastic job on that um, in that regard. Now, that seems like it's very different than other road races you've been to. Does it compare to any track events you've you've participated in? I mean, I would say that this is, this was different, no. Um, I mean, I guess you could say it's like the track trials where it's just stadium lined and screams everywhere. Um, But we were kind of comparing it to like New York City Marathon, you know, where if you're in that race, there's crowds everywhere there's not really anywhere where there's not people where there aren't people cheering for you um and that's exactly what what this was yeah that's a good point and they're much closer to you than at a track like even if you got a great crowd at a track event at a track meet again they're you know 30 40 meters away from you even at the first row as opposed to like these races where if you take if you're taking a turn you know efficiently you could be like an arm's length away from someone who's cheering you on yeah, absolutely. Now, as the last few miles were progressing, were you were you aware of what was happening at the front in regards to you know, you know what Molly and Alephine were doing, or you know what what was potentially transpiring 
in regards to the top three finishers? Um, well, I did, I knew Molly and Alephine had pulled away and it was those two. And that was exciting to see because there were a bunch of points in the race where there are one eighties, um, and you'd flip back around. And the last one that we did when we went to, uh, went underneath the rings, um, I think it was maybe with a couple miles to go, Alephine and her were still together and we passed each other. And I said, go, like, go Alephine. Um, as she passed me and, you know, that was super exciting to see, um, kind of, I, I felt very confident that she was going to hold it and, you know, at least solidify one of those three spots, you know, hopefully win, but absolutely solidify one of those spots. So very exciting in that regard. Third place. I didn't know if that was locked up necessarily. Um, I thought that, I thought that there was a chance that Sally could have been passed by any number of people. Um, and it got pretty close to that point. Uh, yeah. Yes. True. Des, Des really, you could tell on the broadcast that Des really took that last decline very fast. And Sally obviously held on and, and kudos to her for doing it. But you could see Des in the background while they were showing Sally. And it's like, she's definitely not going to, she's definitely running out of space, but boy, is she taking this hill quickly. Right. Yeah. I ran out of real estate, but you know, the three, three ladies did an amazing job. Um, they certainly deserve it. I don't know if you've seen replays of this mile or so, but it looked like Alephine had plenty of juice when she finished. She finished so strong. And you, you could see the juxtaposition with her and Molly. It looked like, again, Molly held pace, but you could tell that she was struggling to do it and completely understandable, where it looked like Alephine could have kept going for another mile or two. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised uh, that Alephine won, but Man, if you were at any of our practices or saw anything that she did, like, this is not a surprise. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, she she was doing this in practice the whole entire segment. She she closed our 15-mile steady state at 7,000 feet of, I don't know, probably in like a 515. I ran a 522, and she closed it in 515 or something. Um, so it wasn't a surprise. Um and I, I hinted at this. We did a, a post-race recap as soon as the race ended. Uh, went out a couple of days ago, and I was I, I hinted at this on the broadcast, but said that you know my coach and good friend James McCurdy, who lives in Flagstaff, he goes, I you know I, I, you know, I asked him a week before the race, like, hey, what do you think is going to happen? He goes, I don't know what's going to happen in the women's race except for one thing, and that's that Alephine's absolutely going to make the team. That's awesome. So obviously, you know, him living up there, you know, he, he either had saw it or, you know, had been hearing the good word that was going around. I know it's a tight knit running community up there. Um, all right. So let's talk about just moving forward. All right. You have you've done so well in the 10K for a number of years. You ran the 10K really well last summer. In fact, is that something that you want to pursue going into the summer? Yep. I mean, it was in the plans either way. You know, I was hoping that I could go there and do like a victory lap and just kind of, you know, be there and enjoy the race um, in a sense, like run it, but enjoy it and not have any pressure. Um, but yeah, now I guess I have to go and actually like be like, oh, this is business. I have to get it done. Um, so, yep, I'll be there. <laughs> That's funny because I you say that, but just knowing how competitive you are, I can't imagine you taking like a victory lap of sorts at the Olympic trials. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't jog around the track. I would be, I would race, <laughs> but 
you know, to not have the pressure would be different. Um, I think it would be kind of a fun, more like fun, relaxed feeling in a sense, uh, knowing that you, there was nothing riding on it. So what did, what it, whatever happens, happens. Um, going into it with the pressure of having to make a team, you know, is kind of a different beast. So, so what does recovery look like for you? Not only in terms of, you know, your, your typical marathon recovery and, and all of that stuff, which we've talked about in the past, you know, after your fall marathon, but specifically with your right leg. Um, well, we generally we take about two weeks off. Um, now I usually take roughly a week off completely. And then the next week I run whenever I feel like it just, I don't know, four to eight miles tops, uh, maybe a few times that week. This go around, I don't think I'm going to do that because of my leg. I don't really know what to expect with that. Um, I'd say if it is what we think it is, that's probably the most significant thing that I've had um, wrong with me in my professional running career, which I guess is, you know, not the worst thing in the world. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to expect. I know that it just takes a little bit of time and um, obviously some patience goes along with that. Um, we're going to get it, some imaging done to make sure that, um, there's nothing more serious or how serious it is, I guess, uh, just to figure all that, all that stuff out. Um, and then just kind of go from there, you know, build back up and get ready for battle again. Oh, that's great. Now, do you, do you have any like hazing planned for Alephine now that she's, she's, you know, representing America here in the, in the Olympics, does that mean that she has to like, you know, kind of lead out like, into like into a headwind now from now on for you guys and you know things like that? We told her that she just has to lead all of our track workouts now. <laughs> we had this thing going during during our marathon segment where Stephanie and I would joke because Alephine always liked to kind of like sandbag at the back until like maybe the last mile or two and we're like alephine what the heck <laughs> like you can't do that she'd be like oh i feel terrible today and then she would like just hang out and run behind us and then you know the last mile or two she'd just blow the doors off um so now we're like okay alephine we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna let you do a little bit of work now um but we'll see we'll see what happens hopefully we get to do some some work together um as she builds up for for the Olympics and we build up for the trials. Oh, that's wonderful. Kellen, thank you so much for being part of this over the last nine months. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and follow along with everything you're doing. I know so many people have looked forward to all of your episodes. So again, thank you so much for being a part of this project. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Kellen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a blast to talk with her. I'll tell you, it was great to have her on this show for the past nine months, having one of America's best month in and month out. I mean, you just learned so much about her, her competitive streak, her no-nonsense approach to life and training, and just her desire to excel at all things, not just athletically related. And it just is so inspirational to see and hear firsthand from her throughout the year. So best of luck to you, Kellen, moving forward. Next up on this podcast, in a couple days, we'll have Sarah Bishop. I just recorded that podcast last night. 
and it is emotional. Let me just tell you that. Uh, that will drop on Thursday morning. Next week, we'll have Roberta Groner and Lou Serafini. And the week after that, we'll have Jared Ward. Also hoping to get some other people on the show who maybe we haven't followed throughout, but it would be nice to hear about their Olympic trials experience. Also, we had some people on this podcast over the last few months who we didn't follow throughout their journey, but we did have one-off episodes and maybe getting them back on the pod would be great. I'm looking at you, Laura Thweet and CJ Albertson. So thank you so much for listening, for rating and reviewing the show and sharing it with your friends. It's so greatly appreciated. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. 